Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance. I'm your host. My name is Devraga. And in this episode, we have a very special guest. Now, I reckon about six months ago, Vanguard actually migrated me from being a wholesale customer, which I've been with them for many years, to what's called Vanguard Personal Investor. And along with me, a lot of the listeners also use the Vanguard platform for investing and have been migrated from the wholesale or retail to a Vanguard personal investor. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you're new to Vanguard, you may not have been migrated because you may already have been with Vanguard Personal Investor, particularly from 2020. But for those people that have been migrated, I've had a lot of questions about how that it actually works. And I don't know all the answers, so who better to explain? And I've got Bailaji, who's one of the senior members at Vanguard Australia, who actually uh, initially was involved in developing and executing the Vanguard Personal Investor. So I'd like to formally welcome Balaji to the Devaraga Personal Finance to answer some of the specific questions about VPI. Hello, Balaji. Hi, Dev. Great to be here. Well, thanks for joining us and giving up your precious Friday afternoon time. Now, are you ready to get started? I've got some interesting questions and um, some questions I think I've, I don't have the answers to. So let's get started, eh? Let's get into it. No worries. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, if you're new to the podcast and have any specific questions or comments, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And remember the three main aims of the channel, education, empowerment, and entertainment. First of all, Balaji, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Vanguard or what you did, particularly with reference to VPI? So I've been at Vanguard for um, close to seven years now. I started out building our funds and our ETFs then ran the uh, retail business, which is Bang, Vanguard Personal Investors, uh, is a big part of that. And more recently, led our B2B and our financial advisor and institutional business. Our strategy for Vanguard moving forward is, is um, firmly to support retail investors and advisors. So glad to have played a role in, in both of these um, key segments for us. We are investing a lot of capital and resources into making sure that all interactions, particularly for retail investors and advisors in interacting with Vanguard directly are as seamless as possible. And Vanguard Personal Investor was born um, as a result of these efforts. Fantastic. Now, I have to admit, and uh, just a complete disclosure, I am a huge Vanguard fan. Uh, if, If people that have listened to my podcast and know me personally are somehow talk about passive investing, index investing, and somehow bring that into the conversation. And Vanguard is always central to that. Now, a couple of points. Uh, Vanguard has not paid me for this podcast. I think it's really important to highlight that this is an organic episode. And uh, that so there's no, this is not an ad for Vanguard, but I had a lot of questions, Balaji, about the VPI. And hence, I just reached out. I really appreciate you taking the time to answer the questions. Can you just briefly explain for people like me who've migrated from wholesale to VPI, what is the point of VPR? What's the function of it? Maybe I'll just take you take you back a little bit and give you the history and the context, and then get into where, um, you know why we went through this um, approach to migration. So we've had a retail business for um, close to two decades at Vanguard. They were largely retail funds and some wholesale funds. So investors and people who knew Vanguard who adopted the low-cost way of thinking, the, the true bogleheads, as, as some of them are called in the United States, they found a way to come directly to Vanguard. And um, before this was before the launch and advent of ETFs, which launched in 2009. So people in Australia came to Vanguard directly and retail investors wanted to invest directly with Vanguard through our retail funds. And that's, the, that's how the business really grew. And then over time, these retail investors um, started investing into our wholesale funds, which were typically designed for institutions and advisors. And what ended up happening over the last two decades, we ended up building a 
a very loyal and very long-standing client base of close to 30, 40,000 clients within Vanguard who came in and interacted directly with Vanguard. Now, about in 2016 or so, Vanguard decided to change our strategy, both here and to to mirror what we do in the US and, and in other regions. So just for context, in the US, we support close to 50 million clients. Many of them are retail clients. From, a, in a, from an Australian standpoint, what we wanted to do was um, be a retail-oriented strategy. So what that means is supporting retail clients who come directly to Vanguard as well as the advisors who support them. So as part of this, we look to enhance the experience and the buying experience for investors who came in and transacted directly with Vanguard. And we wanted to do it in two different ways. One is we wanted to make it really simple and easy for our existing longstanding client base of the 30,000-odd investors, as well as create a digital portfolio or a portal that made it easier for newer Vanguard investors to come in and transact directly with Vanguard funds, Vanguard ETFs, and the like. So that gave birth to Vanguard Person Investor. Vanguard Person Investor essentially is a digital portal through which retail investors can come in and transact directly with Vanguard and get access to Vanguard funds, our entire suite of Vanguard managed ETFs, and the top 300 Australian shares. And it, it's, it's see it as a portal, that see it as a service, and it comes together with integrated buying experience as well as integrated reporting. And it comes with a cash account to help fund these um, trades. So that's really Vanguard Person Investor. So we built that portfolio. We built that portal. We started building out the feature set um, progressively for it. So we started building out various account types. And then once we felt we had a reasonable enough feature set, what we wanted to do was go back to our main objective and we wanted to move our existing the long-standing foundational investor base of 30 or 40,000 clients and move them into this entire digital experience. So from our standpoint, we wanted to continue to invest into this digital interface to make it easier for our long-standing and our newer clients to have the same experience and to have access to all of the features that we have today and and importantly, all of the features that we will continue to enhance moving forward. Right. So is it fair to say then that with VPI or Vanguard Personal Investor, is it kind of like a broker platform or is it like when you say it's a, it's a platform or like an interface, is it pretty much like a, for example, a ComSec where you can just log in and you have a cash account and you can buy ETFs and shares through that? Is it a fair comparison or are you trying to achieve something a little bit more different? Oh, it's partly yes, because um, because you can buy ETFs and the ETF buying journey of buying ETFs through us is similar to, say, buying on a Comsec or the likes. Where we're different from a brokerage platform is we we offer our own managed funds and we offer the top three hundred Australian shares and it comes with an integrated cash account. So I would say that's where the slight distinction appears. Where we're not just a brokerage platform, we've got a few more things, and what we are able to do by virtue of the way we built it is to be able to give you consolidated reporting across your individual shares, your managed funds, and ETFs and your cash that you hold with us. And we're able to bring that together and provide that integrated reporting to investors. So yeah, it's got brokerage components to it, but it's got a bit more to it. Okay. Now, in terms of costs of, uh, you did mention about your United States parent company, you know, massive following there, 50 million customers. Can I just clarify, you've got less than 100,000 customers for Vanguard Australia or have you sort of surpassed that at the moment? Because you mentioned maybe 40,000, I think, legacy customers. Um, we don't use the word legacy. We okay. use the word long, long-standing, long-standing. and foundational <laughs> because we they're, um, they're some of our um, – including yourself, um, Dave, um, this is one of our longest standing foundational client base. We use the word foundational because they were, they were literally there from, from day dot. So we have, so the foundation client base is roughly about 30,000 client accounts and some client accounts might have more clients to them, say if you're a trust account or a, or a company account, um, but just use, roughly use 30,000. So that's the foundation and we've also built out our newer client base and that surpassed over 100,000. So it's close to between 150 and 180,000 clients. So it's, um, it's grown well. And uh, for us, it's about growing responsibly and making sure we can continue to 
provide a service that that we can continue to iterate and keep getting better. And it has seen a lot of improvement from when we launched the digital offer. No worries. So on that note, I've just noticed in general, and this is you know maybe related to Vanguard, maybe not, but generally, why is it that ETFs that are based in Australia, you know, for example, the ASX uh, 300, I think it's a VAS, let's use a Vanguard example, the ETF for that, I think the expense ratio is 0.1%, for example. But something equivalent in the United States, which tracks, you know, the um, uh, S&P 500, the expense ratio is a lot lower. And, and that's, just, that's not just Vanguard, that's just generally speaking, other companies as well. So I'm just curious for, for the listeners, it's a common question that I get. Why is it that Australians have to end up paying that little bit extra in terms of expense ratio, even though we may be getting a, I suppose, a comparable equivalent product or why is that? I'm just curious. Sure. I think first of all, it's important to draw relative comparisons. Like index funds and index products are a fraction of, you know, other high cost, you know, concentrated actively managed portfolios. So, you know, you're still investors in Australia for Vanguard are still playing substantially low cost than say uh, compared to um, other concentrated strategies. Coming back to your US question, when we look at pricing products, there's a number of factors that go into play, but scale being one critical aspect of it. And um, there's competitive dynamics, there's market dynamics. So if I use the example of um, VAS, for example, VAS um, between the fund and the ETF, there's roughly about $30 billion in, in the one strategy for example, in Australia, and that for VAS, the fee for VAS is seven basis points. If I then draw some parallels with the US, there is one product, um, just VTS, that has a trillion dollars. So it's just, and then there are other strategies where we have, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. So scale is a big component of it. And when you continue to build that scale, the US has also been in existence since 1974. So they're, off, they're getting closer to being in in operations for 50 years. So over time, what Vanguard has done in the US and what, or what people should expect Vanguard to do in all of the markets we operate in is we build, we launch the best products, we continue to build scale in them. And as that scale grows, we drop the price of our products that again continue to attract more flows, which build scales. And then you see this nice virtuous cycle happening. So from an Australian standpoint, so we've been here for just over 25 years, we've built some reasonable scale into the into the into our products, and importantly, we've cut the cost of our products about 40 times. So, as with the passage of time and with the building of scale and market dynamics, you should expect um, whether it's Vanguard Personal Investor, or whether Vanguard ETFs, or Vanguard Managed Funds, or Superannuation, this is not a pricing strategy for us. This is very much our mission to build scale and then deliver the benefits of that scale to our end investors through reduction in fees. No, fair enough. I mean, I, I think I incorrectly mentioned the expense ratio being 0.1%. You are right. It's 0.07%. And I do I take your point because I remember when I first started investing in the wholesale fund, I think it was 0.18% was the expense ratio. Then they got an email, reduced it to 0.16%. So Vanguard does have a great history of reduction in costs. Um, and to be honest, look, if, if you're listening in and you're grappling over, you know, uh, 0.1 or 0.02% point reduction in fees between, you know, Vanguard or whatever other company, I think that's missing the point. I think the whole point of, uh, you know, people that listen to my channel, hopefully the listeners, is that get investing, get started, you know, pick a strategy and automate it and do it for the long term, which I think those critical points are very much the late uh, Jack Bogle's principles of just get started early, take advantage of compounding and uh, keep costs low and just do it forever. You know, it's it's as simple as that. Absolutely. Now, the structure of Vanguard, I get this question quite a bit. Promise we will get to VPI. Um, is it the same structure in Australia as it is in the US? Because quite typically when we talk about US Vanguard, I think people talk about the actual investors being part owners of the company. Therefore, it's all driven for the benefit of the, you know, of the, of the actual investors. Uh, is it the same structure in Australia or is it different? So in principle, we operate like the mutual structure. And what mutual structure does in the US is all of the, unlike, unlike a publicly listed company or, privately, uh, or a private company where there are external shareholders, the way Vanguard is structured is our investors own the funds. And, and as a result, the, our investors are part owners and the funds own Vanguard. So from that standpoint, there is importantly no misalignment between the owner and the member. 
So the owner is the member and the member is the owner. So, um, so that's an important distinction. And what this means is, again, it comes down to that flywheel effect I spoke about earlier, the virtuous cycle where the way this mutual structure comes to life is we build great products, we build scale into them, we pass the benefits of the scale to our owners or our investors into our funds through reducing the, reducing the fees. So that principle Whilst Australia is not structured as a mutual stru- mutual structure per se, we're 100% owned by the Vanguard Group. And in essence and in principle, we operate like the mutual structure here. Right, yeah. Look, I re- that, that's an interesting thing because that's a very common question that I get. And even though, you know, theoretically the structure may be slightly different, but it's the ethics and the principles and the philosophy that's really driven for the parent company. And I think, um, once again, set forward by the great Jack Bogle. I'm a big fan. Um, uh, he's really sad that he's not here, but um, it's just an amazing vision that he had in the 70s, you know, moving forward. Just, just picking up the point about the VPI specific specifically. Another question that I get is chess sponsorship. This is very unique to Australia, I think. I think people just get so narky and so sort of um, obsessive about they won't invest in things that are not chess sponsored. VPI, is it chess sponsored? Uh, If not, what other model is it? It's not chess sponsored. It's it's more of a nominee structure, which essentially means that behind Vanguard, there is a custodian who holds investor assets in custody. So, you know, Vanguard appoints a custodian. And this is not too dissimilar to every other super fund and the way it is structured. We set out because this is a structure by which we uh, are able to bring in some operational efficiencies. We wanted to build a structure that gave people access to Vanguard funds, ETFs, underlying shares and cash. And because of the way we wanted to bring our proposition to life. We've structured it as a nominee structure and it made a ton of sense. Um, we, we're not completely against the chess sponsored, so which means if you own a BHP or Rio and you go to the register, you can probably see your name on it and you can go to annual general meetings and vote for it. And people often pay a lot more value to it. Um, but from our standpoint, if you're buying an ETF, you're essentially buying a diversified portfolio of shares and um, you are you are essentially getting the benefits of diversification. You're getting the benefits of ownership. And for us, there is an independent custodian like J.P. Morgan involved. So investor funds are held very separately. Vanguard always stands behind all of our assets. We we run eleven and a half to twelve trillion dollars globally, and um, we're one of the largest managers in the world. And we're very, very responsible about how we run our operations and conduct our operations, both in Vanguard Australia. And our principles are reflected everywhere else in the world. So for us, um, this is this is a, an optimal structure by which we can continue to keep investing in our in our structure for clients. Again, we hear it from time to time about people wanting a, an individual chess ownership, but once you start explaining this context, and you know, there's no innate benefit of you know being able to go to AGMs and vote in other directors. But for us, most of our investors are ETF investors, so they don't do that anyway. So the benefits are, are removed by that. I can't think of anything worse than going to an AGM meeting, to be honest. Just, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why people do that, but but I suppose the active investors and individual investors, it's it's a bit like, an, an, and I'll use a, a doctor example, we have credentialing committees at most hospitals that literally go through the paperwork of every single doctor that works at the hospital to make sure they're actually credentialed and they actually are a doctor. And you might have heard about, you know, in the media that there have been two or three instances in the last 12 months where actually non-doctors have been mimicking being doctors working in a hospital. It still happens surprisingly. And I'm sitting there in the credentialing meeting. I can't think of anything more boring to do as a doctor than not see patients and having to look at people's uh, certificates and medical certificates and this and that and make sure they're actually doctors. So I equate that to an AGM. Just just a quick question about, um, you did mention about a custodian. Is it is it JP Morgan Chase? Is that the yep. custodian? Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and the common question that I get with this chess sponsorship is that, hey, Dev, if I put my money through Vanguard, whether it be personal investor, et cetera, what if Vanguard goes bust? Does that mean that I lose all my money in Vanguard? And I keep telling them, you're not actually buying Vanguard. You are using them as a service to buy an ETF or an index fund or share. What would be your response to that? You know, there's a common question that I get. What if Vanguard goes bust? Do I lose all my money? 
Uh, no, you don't. Is the is the quick answer? Thank so God for that. Ba- <laughs> yes, thank you. So what Vanguard what Vanguard does is you know very uh, mechanically speaking, if we buy an index fund, say if you think about the VAS, which owns the top three hundred shares, the ETF would buy three hundred shares, and those the shares those underlying shares are held in custody by the underlying custodian. So we're essentially not marking our own homework. You're not holding all the assets. So, and there's also this independent independence between the investment manager and the one and the and the book of records. So, this is a standard practice. All super funds have an end custodian. So, yeah, in the rarest of events, if Vanguard were to go bust, the assets are still held in custody by an independent custodian. Custodians have very large balance sheets. They have to meet capital ratios. So, I think it's a it's a very safe uh, mechanism. It's a this is the prevalent mechanism in most parts of the world. Australia has this quirk with um, with this individual hand ownership. Again, you know, it it has some benefits to some people, but for the large part, um, your assets. We're in a very mature regulatory environment. We're in a we're in a very mature financial environment, and I think we our financial system is fairly robust, and there are sufficient mechanisms and. To, in, to protect investor capital and this custodial structure is um, is by far the more prevalent structure around the world. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of anxiety because of what happened with GFC and, and you're right in the sense that regulation and the regulatory processes in Australia, dare I say, are a little bit more robust uh, than our North American colleagues, which kind of fell through in uh, 2007, 8, 9. And I suppose if Vanguard goes bust, what you're saying is, the assets are still under held under custody. So, you know, JP Morgan Chase might say, let's find a different manager to manage those assets, essentially, that they might, you know, or, or do they just liquidate everything and give it back to you? Oh, it could be one of the one of those options if that were to happen. And each ETF is a separate entity. It would be that each ETF or fund would have to fail and then the, all the other ETFs would still operate on their own. So there's varying there's a number of layers here. Um, again, we're a separate entity. So if Vanguard would ever become bankrupt, creditors could not claim on the other ETFs for Vanguard's obligation. So there's that further protection of Vanguard as a corporate entity versus investor capital. So yeah, so this is, I would say to your investor base to rest assured their money is uh, and will continue to be safe. So let's get into VPI specifically. When So I migrated, I think it was October 31st or maybe, I think it was around the end yep. of October we migrated officially. And I have to say the migration process was pretty seamless. My uh, account details didn't change. You know, I didn't have to ring anyone up. Um, and and a couple of times that I did ring up Vanguard because I was just highly anxious, they were actually fantastic. They knew exactly what they're talking about. I asked them very pointed questions and they, everything they said was quite appropriate. But um, surely that would have cost Vanguard some money to be able to migrate people like me over to the VPI. Is that cost absorbed by Vanguard or is that cost coming from my investments that I've had with Vanguard? How, how did you pay for that? It's not free, I would have thought for you. So so uh, all migrations, and this was probably one of the more complex migrations um, that have happened because um, predominantly retail clients, we needed a proxy vote. There was operational transaction transition. There was technology involved. There was other um, parties involved. So yes, it did come at, at a cost. And again, this is part of uh, our, of us continuing to build on our retail strategy of investing in the retail segment. So there were there were some costs that we undertook. There were some minor legal costs which typically are borne by the fund. But again, these are when 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 they pass through the fund, they're 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 almost um, negligible to an end investor. So to an end investor, there was no material cost blowout as a result of moving to this structure. And more importantly, there are substantial benefits of moving to personal investor by having a completely digitized investment journey. You get access to the newer features, you have all the account types, you have auto-invest, and importantly, you'll continue to benefit from um, all of the investment we continue to make into personal investor moving forward. 
Yeah, no worries. I think I read the PDS when they first sent it to me. I think the cost was, you know, shared amongst all the people. It was like zero point zero 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 something. I thought, yeah, it it is like if it's if it's maybe like a, a some legal expense could be a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in a in a fund with you know tens of billions. Yeah, and then it is exactly like you said, it's zero point zero 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 zero. So it's 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 almost negligible. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 a common question that I got, and the answer to that is it's yes, there is a bit of a cost, but it's probably going to be less in proportion to buying a latte at the local coffee store in, you know, probably much less than that. Actually, a lot less mm. than that. In proportion. Um, yep. So it would, be, it would be maybe a few cents, mm. depending on uh, how much you have I, for the I always part. get surprised because most of my listeners are healthcare workers and predominantly doctors uh, who make a lot of money. I mean, they, they have a higher income, but then they get really anxious and nervous about spending, you know, a few cents in the dollar to migrate a service. Now, the other question that I had in relation to the migration was it was an is it called an in specie transfer in other words there's no capital gains tax uh, expenditure so it's a very common misconception a lot of people got worried that does that mean that i need to pay taxes come financial year 2024 my understanding is no but can you clarify that um Dave, this is a very important point and right from the outset one of our core guiding principles was we wanted to do this transaction only if there was no capital gains impacts to end clients. That wasn't possible, then we probably wouldn't have done it. We would have endured the pain and you know considered different options. But for us, that was guideline number one, because if we're bringing forward, and, and as I um, noted at the outset, with some of these investors have been with us for 20 years and the markets have done exceptionally well, bringing forward those, those gains um, because of a transaction we've brought forward is is um, is not something we would have ever done. So we went in and got a lot of reliefs from ASIC, our regulator in Australia, as well as the ATO. We were very, and the structure was very um, carefully scrutinized and, and our regulators and the ATO did a great job of looking through the details and gave us all the necessary reliefs in place. But uh, yeah, there is no capital gains impact as a result of this transaction to any of the investors who've moved. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for clarifying that. And it's good that you had the partnership with ASIC and and ATO. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have a great relationship with the ATO. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, we we see the ATO as um, some some random organisation that comes to take away your money. But but it's good that to just to be clear that there is in the twenty twenty four financial year tax returns, there's not going to be any uh, capital gains tax because of this move. No, there there, there shouldn't. And uh, you know, this was quite a quite a large transaction. And um, as we look through some of the conversations we had with our regulators and we should all be thankful that we live in a country where you know they we have a very strong regulator in both the ASIC as well as the ATO they they looked through it very deeply very carefully they followed all of their guidelines and um, yeah it was it's a it's a great mechanism that we have in Australia where regulators uh, we have one of the best regulators and they've they, they gave us the stamp of approval before, uh, well before we proceeded with um, migrating our clients. Yeah, fantastic. So well done to Vanguard. Uh, and if ATO could stop sending me letters, that'd be great as well. And, and Balaji, hopefully you can do something with ATO with that. I'm not sure. Um, so <laughs> Sorry, can't help you there. <laughs> just in terms of the cash account, you did mention about it. So you log into VPI and there's a cash account. What's the purpose of the cash account? Because it's not something that I'm used to because in the old wholesale fund, it, the money goes directly from my account, from my bank account, goes directly and I invested in the um, managed funds version. But now I think there's a cash account in there. So when I do a BPAY payment from my uh, savings account, it goes into this cash account. So w- what's the purpose of it? So the cash account is essentially just a transaction hub. So when when you look at buying on personal investor funds, ETFs of the top 300 Australian shares or to receive distributions from any of these funds, it's just essentially a hub that just serves as your mechanism to fund your transactions and to receive any of the distributions that we think will go back as investments into the fund. So that's essentially what we did. Previously, when we set up our structure, it was very largely manual where we, it was money going in from directly from investors' accounts. But what we've done is this cash account essentially you know, centralizes that and helps investors continue to invest. For us, Dave, it's really important uh, when we set out Vanguard Personal Investor, we didn't want anyone to sit on cash and time markets and try and do this. We wanted to automate things as as much as possible. Sometimes, you know, we have um, some investors who think, "Hey, I'll just 
hold back because of what markets are doing, and then I'll try and invest in the, uh, at a particular particular opportunity. Our guidelines, our guardrails to investors has always been, hey, you can't time markets because when you're timing markets, you essentially have to get two things right, the <laughs> when you get in and when you get out. So from our standpoint, we just think, and as you said at the outset, you know, start the journey. And once you've started the journey, keep investing and then have the discipline to stay invested over the course of um, your investing life cycle. And we've seen time and again through investors here and in the US, those who do that have have benefited the most. And um, we have many longstanding investors, um, including those like yourself, who've, um, who've been very disciplined investors. And this, these were disciplined investors before we had the technology in place. But now with what we've tried to do is create a mechanism, create the cash account where the money that comes in, it, it gets reinvested into the account. And um, if people are enrolled into an auto-invest feature, which essentially automatically invests based on preset um, amounts, it just automates that whole process, but it's really bringing our staying the course discipline to life through our digital environment. Perfect. And is there a cost to, if, if I have money in the cash account, X amount of dollars, whatever, is there a charge to that? Does Vanguard charge me some money to have that money in the cash account or is that very negligible or? So you, you don't get um, charged anything and neither do you get any interest. And again, we um, we don't want people parking their cash and sitting on it. That is not the intent for it. So we just want any of that money to purely use, be used as a transaction hub that you get the money in and then you keep getting, keep investing, investing yeah. it. So for that reason, there's no cost and no interest as well. And is that account provided by Vanguard or is it actually provided by a bank or something? It's, it's, um, we're not a bank, so we can't provide a bank account, but um, we've, um, it's provided by ANZ Bank. ANZ, okay, perfect, no worries. Now, that's a nice segue. We'll take a quick break. It's a good segue about auto-invest. I really want to ask Balaji some, a couple of questions about that because I'm a big fan of automating everything in my life. So uh, we'll be right back after this short break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Okay, we're back after the break. My name is Dev Raga. This is Dev Raga Personal Finance. We're with Balaji, the senior member of Vanguard Australia. So thank you very much for joining us. Now, just before the break, Balaji mentioned about auto-invest. Now, for those of you that have known me for many years podcasting and know me as a person, everything that I do has a routine. Everything that I do is automated. My whole life is automated. The way that I invest is automated. And previous to VPI, what I basically did was I set up a recurring BPAY payment straight from my savings account, straight into the managed fund. That's what I basically did. Now, currently, Balaji, can you explain how the auto-invest feature works just on a broad scale? Yeah. F- firstly, we launched auto-invest because uh, we know that making regular contributions can significantly increase investor returns over the long over the long run and as you said Dave more importantly it prevents people from reacting emotionally to shorter term market movements or adverse news that they're reading because if you zoom out from markets staying invested and staying continually invested and being disciplined um, puts investors in the best stead over the long term so we created auto invest essentially to to do that 
So auto-invest is a feature that automates the process of investing. It could be weekly, fortnightly, monthly, or quarterly. You nominate an amount and that money gets invested into a range of managed funds or ETFs or a combination of managed funds and ETFs. And then it, it direct debits from your account. And then that money, once it comes through, it just invests in in the managed funds. And because ETFs are not fractional, what it does is if you've said $500 and to the extent there's $560 in your account, it'll invest the 500 and then the 60 sits in your account until the next cycle when then when, you, when your direct debit monies have come through and it has the su- su- sufficient amount of capital that then goes through the cycle of keep investing. But it is always investing in that time frame that investors have prescribed. That's essentially how auto-invest sure. works. So um, you, you did mention weekly auto-invest. I, I think I actually logged in before. I don't think weekly is possible. If you can make it possible, that'd be amazing. I tried to do weekly, but the minimum that I'm able to do is fortnightly. So as a feature request, I've had I've got a few, quite a few listeners wanting to do weekly because that's how I used to invest. But if it is available uh, and I'm wrong, let me know after the episode, but I've tried to do it, but I, I just couldn't make it work. So just to clarify the auto-invest, so what you're saying is you're automating it from money goes from your savings account into your cash account, and that's, you know, fortnightly, for example, and then from that cash account, whenever the next business day or whatever it is, the money gets invested into your preferred ETF. Yeah. Okay. Does that Or fund. Or fund. Does that mean that ETF and fund, is that the only auto-invest features or can I automate my direct debit to buy specific individual shares, for example? We don't do shares today. We only do managed funds and ETFs, which is what the predominant amount of our clients, predominant portion of our clients invest in. So that's what we've done. But if we start to see people wanting to invest in a portfolio of stocks and securities. Again, it's something we'll we'll really want to look at because we want all of our investors to be suitably diversified across whatever they invest in. And if you're investing in individual stocks, then it's probably not something we're overly comfortable. But again, if there is sufficient demand over time, we'll definitely look at it. And the auto-invest feature, is it only available to buy Vanguard products for automation? Or is it available to buy... ETFs that are outside of Vanguard, but from within VPI? So today on VPI, we only have Vanguard managed funds and Vanguard ETFs other than the 300 Aussie securities. So essentially, with the exception of the 300 securities, you can auto-invest into any of our ETFs and funds. So it's by by nature of what we have on the platform, which is just Vanguard only. And, and they by Without sounding arrogant, we genuinely believe that our products are the best in the world, and they've, um, many of these products have been there for a long time. And we think, again, with no hint of arrogance, that for almost all investors, just investing in standard, low-cost, diversified products offerings are the best uh, and only solution over the long run. So from that standpoint, we're, we're really proud of what we have on the offer. But that said, we um, over time, we will consider whether we should open it up to having other issuers onto our platform. When we thought about it, we will only launch something on our platform if we feel comfortable that it, it, if should it, if that, that it meets the tests of tests that Vanguard applies to launching our own products. So for example, the only products we launch are ones where that can generate a real return over time in the long run. So what that means is it takes away things like commodities where you're essentially taking a position on on a commodity being a future at a particular um, price point at some point in the future. What we think, think is if you're investing in companies or if you're investing in in property trusts and things like that, these things produce income, which means the security can be valued. So for us, if we can get comfortable around the notion of product can continue to generate a real return over time. That's a big test for us. We want our products to be world-class. We want them to get to scale. We want them to be low-cost diversified. And importantly, we want them to be able to be offered at a very competitive low-cost offering for the lifetime of that product. So for us, the test and the bar for the products that we launch are very, very high, which is which means what it's done is it's taken us away from investing in shorter term fads like you know crypto for instance and we often get asked that question it's just something that doesn't meet our test again we're not here to tell people what to do about their about any particular 
trend that they might be seeking. But for us, Vanguard has a very particular way of how we look at bringing products to life. And um, to the extent other ETF providers and other ETFs meet that test, broadly speaking, we might think of it in the future. But you know, you shouldn't expect Vanguard to just launch a triple leveraged bear ETF product or one of those things. You've got a lot of um, crazy products out there that are launched around the world. And we want Vanguard Personal Invest to be a very responsible place where investors can come, feel comfortable, feel trusted and, and stay invested. No, fair call. No worries. Now, here's a question for you in terms of auto invest. And I've set it up. One of the things that I noticed when I was a wholesale investor was the time that it took for the money to be debited from my savings account to actually going and buying a managed fund. That time lag, maybe a couple of days, maybe a few days. I've noticed with the auto invest, that time lag can be, let's say if I put you know auto debit on a Monday, that money kind of doesn't get invested to the ETF of my choice, uh, even though I've set it up as an auto invest until almost the following Monday, there seems to be a little bit of a lag. And I mean, I've checked it with a few of my colleagues and they're having the same issue. Can you explain to the listeners why there is that lag or is it just, am I an anomaly, for example? No, you're not an anomaly. And this is, um, cash is something that we we hear about and it, it's a key aspect of the buying process. So when you think about auto-invest, there's two main things that are happening. One is the direct debit from your account into the cash account, and then you're buying the ETF, which has a T plus two or T plus three process, so again, another three days. So what we're seeing with the first auto invest in trade in particular is you're experiencing the two components coming together, the six days or the seven days. Um, this is something we are looking to address. Auto, um, the direct debit mechanism that the banks offer has this notion of it takes two to three days for the money to come through if it's a different account. So that is by by its very nature, the the way direct debit works. We're thinking we have on our product roadmap the ability to direct credit into offers, into um, can it just do a sweep of the cash account? These are things we're thinking about. But um, importantly, from an auto invest perspective, you experience this for the first time. But from the second cycle onwards, because it's already debited your money, the investment is only going to be the two or three days that it would normally take for the ETF. So again, this is a pain point that we hear from clients and it's something that our digital teams are um, really looking to address as part of building out the auto-invest. And while they're doing this, they're also thinking about future iterations of expanding the auto-invest feature. It is one of our flagship features. We want uh, we want, we want auto-invest over time to be able to just um, sweep the cash account based on what's already there. And then we, we want to then, and I know there's, um, there's sometimes we get a question of, can I have multiple auto invests? So today you can have the one auto invest with that invests in multiple products, but some people have noted the preference to have two or three auto invests going. And, you know, I'm presuming it works similar to how people run their offset accounts. But you know we don't have that today. But again, it's um, it's something that clients ask us from time to time. We ascertain the demand, and again, auto invest is something that will be a key priority for us as we continue to enhance it. So that's another thing that um, that's on our roadmap, and um, you should expect us to do something about it in the near future. So can I then ask then with the auto invest? Because currently I I just auto invest into one ETF. So you're saying if I auto invest, let's say a couple of thousand dollars a fortnight, what you're saying is that couple of thousand dollars can be auto invested in maybe two or three assigned ETFs. You can split it. You can say a thousand goes to here, 500 goes to there. Okay, cool. Because yep. I did not know that. I, I, and I do wonder if listeners knew that already. So that's good. So that's an yeah, auto invest. Yeah, and you can do it across funds and ETFs. Okay. Yep, no worries. Now, I, I think you sort of alluded to what I call parallel auto-invest. I'm, I'm a great advocate for parallel auto-investing. And, and let me just, uh, if, if you were asking me a, as a customer, as a, as, a, as a feedback, I'll tell you why for the healthcare industry, it's very relevant. It is not uncommon for healthcare workers to have multiple jobs. So for example, doctors, nurses, allied health workers, we have public work, we have private work. And in the public work, we might be across two or three sites. In the private work, we might be across two or three sites. So that we don't all get paid on the same day all of our income. 
in my personal life, for example, I pretty much get paid two or three times a week, depending on the income sources that I have from various different sources. So therefore, currently, I've set it up on a particular day. I think it's a Monday. I set it up as a fortnightly auto-invest as X amount of dollars. One of my guiding principles of this podcast, I always talk about take 20% of after-tax income and put it aside and invest. And that's what I do with, I invested into Vanguard ETFs. But if I have multiple sources of income that are variable, then I'd like to be able to have 20% of income source one, 20% of income source two, 20% of income source three, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for example, the three income sources. So therefore, it'd be nice for me to run parallel auto investing for those different income sources. I think that's where a lot of a lot of my listeners were healthcare workers would really benefit if that ever eventuates, if you have a significant take of that sort of feature. Predominantly, I think for most people, if you have a single employment, single source of income, then it's just doing it once a fortnight would be fine. But these are all nitty gritties, I suppose. And as the service evolves, I'm sure there'll be you know uh, improvements to the platform. So if you're looking for feedback, that, that would be really, really useful for people like me and thousands of listeners who, who follow me. Now, brokerage, my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, there is no brokerage on buying a Vanguard ETF, but there is brokerage if you were to sell something and cash it out. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's That's correct. So there's no brokerage. And the reason why I did this is we didn't want um, Vanguard Personal Investor to be a trading platform. We, for the most part, um, what we see with investors is many of our investors, um, unsurprisingly, buy into Vanguard because we want them to build those investing habits. But, you know, the sell transactions are few and far between. And um, and it's okay for many of our investors when we've spoken to them, they're quite happy to just pay when when they're selling because those transactions are not as frequent as the buy transactions. And that's why we've done it. But importantly, we wanted to prevent this buying and selling all the time. Uh, not, not that we had too many of those, but we absolutely um, advocate against it. And we wanted our platform to essentially be a reflection of the values that we espouse to our investors. No, fair call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, if you ended up be- becoming a buying and selling platform, then it'd be antithetical to <laughs> the whole principles of long-term and, and, and consistent investing. Now, good call on that. Now, dividend reinvestment. So a few questions on that. So when I log into my VPI, um, I go to my portfolio and it's got my ETFs on there. There's a little thing that says reinvest and you can actually tick yes. So in the past with my wholesale account, the dividends would go directly into Vanguard wholesale account and would automatically buy more managed fund units uh, every time there's quarterly dividends. So now that I'm buying the ETF version of that, and we'll talk about why I do that in a moment, is it the same principle or would the money go into the Vanguard cash account, then I have to manually put it back into the ETF? So for, for ETFs, we uh, it, you're essentially, it's happening where the money, any distributions that are generated by the ETFs go into the cash account and then they get reinvested into into the ETF. So again, it's a, but for managed funds, it typically works like the way you've always experienced in the past. But for ETFs, again, because of the way it's structured, it's, it doesn't have an automatic DRP, but it's essentially by virtue of going to the cash account and getting reinvested, you're essentially getting the same effect okay. as, as a DRP. But we, we don't call it a DRP. We call it an automatic reinvestment plan. Okay. So for all intents and purposes, I don't need to worry because in the past, I never used to worry about my dividends not getting reinvested. So that's still the case. Yeah. If you click that rein, reinvest button, I think it's essentially doing it all for you. Okay. Perfect. That's great because uh, there's one less thing for me to worry about and remove and reduce my cognitive burden. Now, here's another question that I get asked a lot. The Vanguard managed funds that I used to have, and I used to have the Australian one, which was 0.16% expense ratio. And I think you can still buy, as you said, the Vanguard Australian managed fund through the VPI, which is still the 0.16%. If I wanted a similar exposure, but get the ETF version, I think it's only seven basis points, a 0.07% expense ratio, which is less than 50% reduction in cost. Now there's no brokerage cost, right? So is there any reason why people would want to invest in the managed fund anymore, given that you're paying twice as much for pretty much the same thing. Is that something that was an unintended consequence? Or is there a reason why people may benefit from a managed fund? Uh, And of course, I know you're not a financial advisor, so you can't advise anything. But I'm just curious, because, for example, I've switched over to the ETF version, because of that reason, because I'm not paying any brokerage fees, and now it's half the cost. So why would I go back to the old managed fund? 
Yeah, I think um, for us, it's important to remember the context of before ETFs were launched, which for Vanguard launched ETFs in 2009, we've had our managed funds business in place for quite some time, attracting tens of billions of dollars. And that was the way most people invested. With ETFs launching, what it's done is it's just democratized this access. So essentially what an ETF is doing is it's like the managed fund, but you can buy it on you, an ETF is an exchange traded version of essentially a managed fund. So the exposure that you're buying, whether through an ETF or a fund, is the same. So if you're buying the VAS or the VASIF, you are still getting access to the top 300 companies. So that doesn't change. That's most important. For us, we're really agnostic and it is investor uh, dependent in terms of some investors have a preference for managed funds. Others have a benefit for ETFs. And uh, for us, it's um, more important that we facilitate that buying journey for whichever structure that investors choose. We have a lot of, we serve a majority of financial advisors around the country. Financial advisors have in the past chosen managed funds as the structure of choice. And more recently, we're starting to see that money go into ETFs. Again, you're not, you can't go wrong with the managed fund or an ETF so long as you're getting the underlying exposure right. You're automating some of your buying behaviors like as you outlined, Dave. Um, there are some fee differentials to reflect. They, operationally, the two things work slightly differently. In some cases, managed funds never attracted brokerage, so it was a very attractive. We've now removed that impediment. So whether you're fund or ETF, we're agnostic and you could do both. But if you, if you say that you are going to invest in ETFs, we still think you're getting the uh, benefits of it. Again, there's marginal cost differentials because all of our products are really low cost. But if you have a preference for ETFs and you want to benefit from that additional fees, then yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it is the right thing to do. Sure. So, and I guess the feed off question of that is people like me who have, so when I log into my VPI, I go to portfolio, I've got the ETF portfolio, which is what I have now. Then I've got the old portfolio, which is the old wholesale fund, which sort of still sits there and it's part of my portfolio. Now, if more and more people don't invest in the old managed fund because of the higher cost, you know, I agree it's marginal, but it's, you know, why would you pay more for a similar sort of service? If more and more people, you know, direct their money towards ETFs, is it a risk for people like me who have a substantial amount of money sitting there in the old fund? Would, would Vanguard, and, and, and I'm sure you might not know, know the exact answer to this, I'm just curious, in 5, 10, 15 years' time and say, well, there's inflows to those funds that have been significantly less, so therefore we're going to shut it down. And then what happens to people like me that have had all this money sitting in that managed fund because more and more people are investing in the ETF version? Is, is that a risk? Should I be worried about that? No, I don't think you should be worried about it because, you know, from a Vanguard standpoint, um, any sort of decisions where we we'll look at our fund structures, you know, the we start with what is the end investor going to experience. So that is always the first mechanism by which we look at these choices. I don't think you have to worry because our managed funds um, still have a bulk of the assets in, in Australia. ETFs are starting to, ETFs have grown phenomenally but compared to managed funds, they're still just a very small subsegment. ETFs, I'm talking from an industry standpoint, and even that is reflected in a Vanguard universe. So managed funds still have the bulk of the assets. For us, they're all part of the same class of structures. So you know, when we launch a strategy, we launch a managed fund and we launch an ETF. So these things come together. So they're not seen as completely independent. And to the extent that, you know, all of the flows going to ETFs at a future point in time. I don't see that happening because we still start to see a lot of flows continue to go into managed funds. It's not like the, they're um, they're dropping off, but you know, it's it's. I don't think it's a it's a challenge for today. Maybe in 20, 30 years time, if it becomes a challenge, we'll we'll have a closer look at it. But again, like what we've done with the transaction, to the extent we are able to amalgamate these holdings for investors without any capital gains benefit, that is something we will consider. But I, I think we are a, a long, long way away from that. But, um, you know, managed funds continue to be benefit to some people where, you know, it, it has the benefit of being able to invest fractionally. So if you want to invest $430 or if you want to invest smaller sums of money, you know, you can you can just do that in an unconstrained way. Whereas with an ETF, you because we don't do fractional ETFs, you'll have to buy the whole ETF. So, I think it still has some structural benefits. It's simple. You don't need to look at price. It's just you're getting the price as that traded. 
end of day the day prior. So yeah, it's 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 not a bad structure. You're still getting the benefit of the low cost and the index strategy. So yeah, and we're a long way away from um, shutting down funds because we've got all our wholesale funds now and we've got ETFs. So it's um, it, we have a lot of money going into both structures. Sure. So just going back to that auto invest feature, actually, one of my one of my mates, uh, good mates, Aaron, uh, shout out to you if you're listening, ask, ask this question. The automation is from direct debit side of things. Do you think in the future, there would be an internal automation? So what I mean is, I can pay my money from um, my bank account, which is separate to the uh, direct debit. So I can pay and I can automate that. So I can say to BPay, please put, you know, X amount of money into the Vanguard cash account. Then it'd be very nice for me to be able to automate the next step, which is basically take that money and then the day after just immediately buy the ETF. Uh, I do take your point that direct debit auto invest is currently existent, but my understanding is you can't automate that internal investment if you're using a BPay version to put the money in. Is that right? You, you can't do the automation from the cash account to the ETF if you're doing a BPay version. Yeah, so this is um, this is what I meant by the sweep, which is what it's doing is you know once the money comes in via BPay and then we could we could create a mechanism by which the auto invest feature just looks through the cash account and whatever is there just sweeps it and then invests it. So this this would if I'm not wrong, Aaron or Dave, that's what you're alluding to, and that's something that the team is considering um, doing. So again, payments are a a big part of the auto invest and, and the buying process. So the team's always looking at how we can continue to enhance and iterate in that space. So uh, if it's not already there, which I'd be surprised by, but um, we will make sure that we actively consider it. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, that's exactly what I was talking about. You know, once the cash account hits, let's say $1,000 or something like that, then automatically the account gets sweeped and then the money goes into the ETF. Um, and just back on the um, auto invest again, one other question uh, I had from another listener. Let's say you have an auto invest that's $1,000 a fortnight. And as you said, with ETFs, you have to buy whole units. So therefore... What if the $1,000 doesn't buy exactly, uh, you know, I think VAS was trading at 86 bucks or whatever. Now, that, that's going to get X amount of units. Does it always go above the $1,000 or does it go just below the $1,000 to make sure that it fits in nicely? How does that work? It'll buy in the units that you can buy in whole units and the residual goes into the cash account. And then that plus the money that comes in for the next cycle is uh, combined and then you invest in the, in, into however many ETFs you can buy in the, in the cycle after. So yeah, okay. so it's just, um, it, it's completely automated. Yep, so basically as an example, $1,000 direct debit, let's say it works out perfectly that $900 gets you the exact amount in terms of uh, units, the leftover 100 bucks still stays in the cash account and then next time the $1,000 gets in, it'll redo the whole automation and make sure it gets the most amount of it and if there's maybe 10 bucks, 20 bucks left over, it stays in the cash account and the cycles goes on and on. Okay. Exactly. Oh, in that example, 1100 would be the amount to invest and then you buy whatever you can buy in whole units. And then if there's something left over, it goes back and then and then so on and so forth. Perfect. No worries. Now, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, look, uh, thank you very much for coming on because I, you know, there's, there's only so much I can answer because I don't work for Vanguard. Uh, so and I said, to, I said to the listeners, I said, you know what? I'm going to send an email to Vanguard and um, I don't know if they're going to respond. And they did. And I went, oh, okay, That's didn't expect that because, you know, when you send emails, I mean, who am I? I'm just a random doctor podcasting about money. So it's really nice to know that uh, Vanguard does value customers like myself who have no, you know, financial background, nothing like that. I'm just a clinician. I'm just a doctor talking about money. But it's nice to speak to someone from Vanguard who values people like us. And there's thousands and thousands of people like me, you know, listening in. Uh, who are Vanguard investors and who had all these exact same questions, uh, everything from capital gains tax to the cost of cash account, the cost of migration services. And a lot of us, you know, yeah, it's in the PDS. You know, you can read the PDF. I've read the PDS, which is God knows how many pages. But, you know, hearing it from someone from Vanguard provides a lot more credibility than me telling them. No, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. And, you know, thanks to you and, and your investor base, uh, your listener base, for entrusting your money with Vanguard. Again, the um, the retail segment is a very important priority for us. So very happy to be here and answer any questions. And to the extent you have um, more questions um, that come up in the future, um, don't don't hesitate to reach out to us and uh, we'll find a way to get, um, get you the responses. 
Thank you so much. Uh, that's all we have time for. Now, remember to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or any of the other platforms that you may be using. Even better, leave it on all of the platforms. That's even better because the more people listen to this, the more outcomes people get, uh, the better it is for everyone else. So thank you very much if you're listening and have been a long-time follower. And until next time, my name's Dev Raga. This is Dev Raga Personal Finance. And please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.